Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health in these especially challenging times. And today we're in for a real treat because we're gonna talk about my absolute unquestionably most or favorite intervention for any viral illness, including COVID-19. And we're going to discuss that with Dr. Thomas Levy, who is well known for his work with vitamin C. He's a board certified cardiologist, but he's ventured into natural medicine for many, probably decades now. And um, his reason we're interviewing him again today was not for a book. Well, that is for a book, his new book. But in some ways, I don't look at it as a book because it's, it's a gift to humanity because he's not selling the book. He's giving it away for free. Some of you probably have already received a copy, but for those who haven't, you're certainly going to want to pick up a copy and read this because it's full of valuable information. And uh, we're uh, going to dive deep into it. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Levy. Always a pleasure to be here, sir. All right. So um, the interesting, I'm just giving another little preface to our conversation that, as you mentioned in the book, conventional medicine has absolutely no successful, consistently successful intervention for any chronic or any viral illness. They just don't. I mean, and they will be the first to admit it. Thankfully, we do. <laughs> That's the peroxide. Is, there, there are others, but peroxide, the nebulized peroxide appears to be the most effective intervention. You and I are on the same page with that. And not only for just about any virus, but certainly we can mention COVID-19. So, what, you know, we've talked about this in the past, and I'm curious what motivated you to put this book together. And then secondarily, as an extension of that initial question, uh, why did you decide to give it away for free? My guess is because if you tried to sell it anyway, they would have censored it because it's too good at information. But what, what's your story? Well, you know, uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I was uh, doing the research for my magnesium book and I had always suffered my whole life with sinuses and chronic colds and coughing, et cetera. And I stumbled across in my research nebulization with magnesium chloride. And that really sparked my interest. And so I took a lateral dive into nebulization and I said, son of a gun, this makes a lot of sense to try to see if I can find something or some combination of nebulization that could help me with these chronic uh, oropharynx and nasopharynx and sinus problems I've had all my life. And in the course of that, one of the things I nebulized with was hydrogen peroxide. And I just noticed incredible changes in my health, incredible changes in my chronic problems almost immediately. So uh, finishing up the work with magnesium and publishing that book, I then dove more deeply, if you will, in the nebulization. And just about the time the pandemic hit uh, was when I really had, to me, my most compelling compilation of evidence for what the nebulization with hydrogen peroxide can do. And as I point out in the book, this is for not just COVID, it's for any respiratory virus. And I make the assertion, and I don't generally make assertions that I can't back up. And the assertion is nobody needs to suffer with a cold or the flu again, uh, unless you start some of these things already after something like that has taken hold. If you start to notice the beginning symptoms of this, the nebulization, along with other things when you have them available. But the whole point of this too is be able to have something that can operate for the world as a monotherapy. And that brought me to number two. I said, 
And of course, you've written about it extensively, Joe, well, all the political ramifications, in addition to the medical ramifications of this pandemic, are frightening to say the least. And uh, the point I make in the book is without even getting into the pros and cons, <laughs> however many pros there might be of vaccinations, I said, why vaccinate something that you can prevent or easily cure after you have it? And as far as giving the book away, to me, that was a no-brainer. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a flawed human being like everybody else. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I want to stop this pandemic. And for a number of reasons, the fact that it's incredibly cheap, inconsequentially cheap, highly effective, available across the planet. Now, remember, there's a lot of countries where you can't get supplements like vitamin C and you can't get ozone and you can't get any of these other wonderful things. So it doesn't matter, really, in terms of just curing COVID if those are not available to a native in Africa at his, at his local little clinic. So, and of course it's simple, okay? It doesn't require the intervention of a hospital, a clinic, a physician, or even a healthcare provider. It's about as simple as you can get. I want, I want to see this pandemic shut down. And not only do I want to see it shut down, I want everybody to realize that this is the optimal tool against any further hanky-panky that takes place in our world with viruses. Yes, well, thanks. Uh, the, um, as we're, by the time this interview airs, I'm, it seems obvious that the, in fact, pandemic is uh, receding quite dramatically and even the most lockdown states are gonna probably transition to opening up again. So, um, for this intervention, it's, I mean, for this pandemic, it probably has limited utility. Also, there are still people coming down with this illness, there's no question. But I just want to emphasize two points you mentioned. One is that a realization I had an understanding after interviewing Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, who is most well known for popularizing the hydroxychloroquine right. intervention. And I asked him if how many, because he was deep in the trenches, he's treated thousands of patients with COVID. And I asked him how many long haulers had he seen? And he said, really the only patients with long hauler syndrome, and there, there is an important point for this tangent, were those who failed to get treated with a successful intervention within the first few days. And it's because the, the virus has had time to replicate and multiply and, and then persist and cause its damage. So the reason I mentioned that is you made a point about using this early on and it became so clear to me after I had there and I heard read your book and seeing that you have got, you just can't understand this treatment intellectually or academically. You have to make a commitment to it, get your nebulizer. And we'll talk about that later in the conversation and have it ready for you available so that you're locked and loaded because the moment you notice a sniffle or a cough or the very first symptom, you don't let it go. You treat it then and literally probably only need two, three treatments and it's it. And you won't get sick and it's, that's the best time to treat it. You know, so get locked and loaded, order your nebulizer, have it available, even try, try it a few times, you know, so you understand it and make the dilutions that you that are required to do. So if there's any confusion, you got plenty of time to clear it up. Not when you're nervous and sick and, and seeking and, and anxious to try to get this intervention going. What I would phrase that as Joe is same day resolution. Okay. And this is something that's almost unheard of in any type of medicine for an infection to be resolved the same day, but that's absolutely what we're talking about here. And uh, it can be done so easily. And as you said, why wait for something to advance? Why wait until you start developing systemic muscle aches and pains to say, oh, well, it just wasn't a little sniffle. It was the beginning of the flu. Let me attack it now. And having said that, that is when the hydrogen peroxide nebulization goes from monotherapy to perfect adjunct to any other therapy that you have, okay? And I wanna emphasize that because to the best of my knowledge, and I've done quite a bit of research on this, I see no circumstance in which hydrogen peroxide nebulization 
interferes with or lessens the impact of any other positive intervention. Uh, and when vitamin C is available, uh, as you know, we, is outlined in the book, peroxide and vitamin C are the perfect physiological partners. They absolutely work hand in hand. And with the doses of high dose vitamin C that appear to rapidly resolve infections, it's because the hydrogen peroxide is bullets in the gun that's called vitamin C. It's, it's an incredible, incredible, wonderful, wonderful interplay of factors that mother nature has put inside us. In every sense of the word, the peroxide is nature's natural antibiotic. So uh, God forbid they ever develop a pathogen that's resistant to hydrogen peroxide. That'll just take down the whole world, including the idiots that created it. Yeah, there's a, there's a mag magnificent synergy between the two, for sure. And uh, you know, the beautiful thing about hydrogen peroxide is it's a molecule that was designed from the get-go to be in your body and is in virtually every cell in your body. Your body needs it, requires it. It's a powerful signaling molecule. And there are actually organelles or structures within your cells that utilize it to kill pathogens directly. That's how your body fights infection. It uses peroxide. So, and it, and it's, it uses it to create this oxidative stress to kill the pathogen. So, and one of the interesting things I've, I, interesting to me, especially in, in the course of doing this research, is that up to 5% of the oxygen that you inhale gets incorporated into producing new hydrogen peroxide inside your body. And also, contrary to much scientific thought, uh, except in the wrong microenvironment, hydrogen peroxide is very stable. It doesn't do a lot of spontaneously breaking down or spontaneous oxidation, any spontaneous reduction. So it actually serves as an incredible storage form for oxygen in your body. And that's actually what sort of happens once you activate hydrogen peroxide is you activate, I mean, there's nothing in your body, pathological speaking, that oxygen is not good for. Uh, and as is also outlined, and this is what makes oh, peroxide a, beyond a perfect agent, is it not only kills pathogens extremely efficiently of all variety, virus, fungus, protozoa, bacteria, you name it, but it leaves behind as metabolic byproducts, water and oxygen. And I would submit to you, in my opinion, water and oxygen are the two most important molecules in the body. I mean, obviously there's a lot more important molecules, but those are the top two, I would say. And it also introduces the concept of when you've had an infection and you have an agent such as the hydrogen peroxide that comes along and resolves the infection, what then is the most optimal thing to have for your body? Well, you want to heal the damaged tissue. Uh, to whatever degree the infection damaged the mucosa, damaged other cells, the two most important things to repairing that are hydration, aka water. Uh, also, hydration dilutes the acidity of an infection. So you make, uh, make an area more hydrated, less acidic, and then you bring along oxygen, which is absolutely, I don't think there's any contest on this, the most important direct healing agent in the body. So it's very clear, at least clear to me, and it should be clear, I think, to everybody, that the best way to refer to hydrogen peroxide is nature's naturally designed antibiotic. Yes, indeed. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of oxygen myself, so much so that I have a hard shell hyperbaric chamber in my house. And once a week, and I just happened to be this morning, I engage in a one and a half hour session where I get three atmospheres of oxygen, 100% oxygen and reap the benefits. Um, but like anything, it's, you don't want to do it excessively, but you know, it's certainly on an intermittent period is, is a magnificent tool to help help you. And we, we absolutely need oxygen. So I, I'm wondering if you would mind reviewing the mechanism of how, or what we, the, of how hydrogen peroxide works or how we believe it works. Because there's, there's a wide variety of uh, pathways that, that it can impact. Well, that's a great question. And 
I don't think we know how many different ways peroxide works, but I think the prominent and near only significant way it works with regard to pathogens, not with regard to other metabolic functions that you talked about, but with regard to pathogens is something called the Fenton reaction inside the cell or inside the pathogen, either place, sometimes in the pathogen, sometimes in the cell. Now, what the Fenton reaction is, is a way of getting hydrogen peroxide to break down into what's called the hydroxyl radical, which is the most potent oxidizing agent known to science. It's so potent, it doesn't migrate. It immediately oxidizes whatever it's next to the moment it's formed. Now, for those who haven't seen my other work or lectures or books, in a nutshell, oxidation is disease and limiting and reducing oxidation give, brings you back to health. I mean, that might sound like an oversimplification, but not so, not so much. So now you have a situation where you have hydrogen peroxide in the cell. Normally, the hydrogen peroxide is at low levels inside the cell because of an enzyme called catalase. Well, as it turns out, in uh, infections and infected cells, the catalase, catalase levels are low and the hydrogen peroxide levels are elevated. Well, now you need in order for that peroxide to break down the hydroxyl radical, the donation of an electron. So it's actually an antioxidant impact that causes the powerful pro-oxidant impact of the breakdown of the peroxide. And as it turns out, the most important donor of this electron is vitamin C but the vitamin C requires the intervention of ionic iron to make the transfer of that electron from the, from the vitamin C to the peroxide to form the hydroxyl radical. So you, vitamin C comes into the cell, donates an electron to ferrous ion, ferric, Fe3+, turns it into ferrous, Fe2+, and that ferrous 2+, is uniquely chemically designed to release the electron to the peroxide. Now, this is where the really incredible genius of nature comes in because it's very clear that that reaction will cause oxidative stress. Now, what you want when you want to kill a pathogen or kill an infected cell is you want to continue the influx and the power of that oxidative action until there's so much oxidative stress that the cell ruptures and dies or the pathogen disrupts, you name it. So you need unlimited supplies of vitamin C, unlimited supplies of iron, and unlimited supplies of peroxide. That's the only way to keep a reaction going indefinitely until it does the task that you want. Well, the vitamin C, very nicely, this is why high-dose vitamin C given intravenously is so powerful antipathogen because it not only gets inside the cell, but here's a biggie. Outside of the cell, in the extracellular space, it powerfully promotes the production of new hydrogen peroxide, which because of its small non-ionic nature is able to diffuse into the cell. So at the same time, the vitamin C goes into the cell, it produces more peroxide that goes into the cell. And then the third part of the equation, the hydrogen peroxide works to mobilize iron from the storage forms inside the cell of ferritin. So there you have all three components, electron donor, electron transfer, electron receiver, the peroxide, the production of hydroxyl radical, and this proceeds until you get complete resolution of the infection. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because it's, uh, I think it's really important to help to understand at a molecular level what's going on. Uh, traditionally, when you look at the Fenton reaction and review it in chemistry or biochemistry books, you, it, it's not, vitamin C is I don't recall ever seeing it mentioned in the Fenton reaction. It's simply iron and peroxide. Uh, so it's, you know, it's an important distinction that you make and a really important one because, you know, biologically, that's how it's going to work. Uh, and what I did some, but wrote my book for EMF, I did a few years of studying on this in a deep dive because this is part of the reason that EMFs are also toxic is that if so I encountered the hydroxyl radical and the reason it, it tends not to, uh, last too, well, it doesn't last too long. It has a very short half-life. It's 10 to the minus ninth seconds. And because it doesn't live so long, it can only travel so far. There's this movement called Brownian motion, which just removes randomly. But if you're only alive for 10, you know, a millionth of a second or less, 
then you can't go very far. Typically, you go with the distance of a protein or two, which is you know really short space. And so this is why the uh, pro the structures in the cell, like the macrophages and the lysosomes, that can concentrate these and then literally go to the pathogen directly and engulf it. And then within that space, because you, as you mentioned, it cannot travel far. So it generates these, these toxic hydroxyl radicals and obliterates the pathogen. So it's just an unbelievably clever, yet highly sophisticated strategies that our bodies have developed to defeat things at, at a safe and effective manner. You know, something else too, that, that, evolves so perfectly into this next point, which is what are the primary pathogen killing immune cells? So that's the macrophages and the polymorphonuclear leukocytes uh, and uh, monocytes. Mm -hmm. What do these cells have in enormous quantity? They bring both components. They bring vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide in massive amounts to the site of the inflammation, AKA infection. So it's just, it's such a beautifully, incredibly balanced system that we have. Uh, that, that's why I say, God forbid, a pathogen ever comes along, artificial or otherwise, that has some way of doing us in by avoiding hydrogen peroxide because this is the body's natural mechanism. And I just, we can't survive without it. You know, there's a lot of important molecules in the body. So, I mean, there's all the vitamins and minerals and everything else and magnesium, of course. But I tell you what, in terms of quantity and in terms of the type of impact they have in both causing oxidative stress when it's needed and causing antioxidant impact when it's needed, I think your four most important molecules in the body are water, oxygen, vitamin C, and hydrogen peroxide. But there's a lot of other important molecules, but I tell you what, you can't get by at all without any of those four. That's for sure. So I don't want to beat the dead horse on this, but uh, you know we've really gone over the benefit and utility of uh, vitamin nebulized uh, peroxide for treating uh, these viral infections. But interestingly, uh, it has other benefits. <laughs> and one, I was surprised to find out and disappointed because uh, personally, you know, my mother passed away a few years ago and she was a lifelong smoker, stopped maybe five or 10 years before she died, but still had the a, a side effect of smoking that many people develop, which is COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease called emphysema. And it appears that, and I didn't know, but she could, I could have used this therapy for her. It could have helped so much because it's a powerful intervention for someone with emphysema. Well, I tell you what, uh, just from a selfish personal point of view, as, as ecstatic as I was to come across this therapy at the age of 69, just like you said, I was almost immediately depressed at all the years that I'd suffered had I been able to uh, come across this therapy so much earlier. But not only, of course, while it doesn't repair, to my knowledge, it doesn't repair uh emphysematous uh, air sacs, okay, in terms of their uh, anatomy, the thing that keeps most of those patients, as you well know, suffering are the chronic infections and the chronic mucus production and the aggravation and the coughing. And, and so I've already had a lot of feedback from chronic lung patients that are pretty much ecstatic that they were able to incorporate this uh, into their, uh, their long-term medical treatment protocols. So also too, I was uh, in the course of this research, well, we all know medicine is not going to embrace anything that doesn't generate a lot of money. That's a given. Uh, but as it turns out, <clears throat> there is a gradual trend toward the administration of more medications by nebulization. Uh, obviously they don't focus much on vitamins and minerals and stuff like that, but they're starting to administer appropriate antibiotics by, uh, by inhalation, you know, for different lung infections. And certainly this de decreases massively the chance of uh, significant uh, negative reactions to prescribed drugs because you're taking a phenomenally less, lesser amount. You're delivering it exactly where you want it to go. So uh, 
even without the phenomenal things we're talking about here, just the increased utilization of nebulization offers an enormous amount of benefit to an enormous number of people. Because, I mean, I, I think except for a kid that had asthma in the emergency room, <clears throat> I never witnessed nebulization my entire internal medicine training. And when I did my respiratory medicine rotation, I certainly didn't see anybody as an outpatient getting anything nebulization other than anti-asthmatic agents for asthma. That was it. Yeah, so even if you nebulize with simple normal saline, you know, 0.9% sodium chloride solution, um, you would get benefit. <laughs> so you know, there's, there's, there's some other also benefits of nebulized peroxotherapy that we all want to go into, but maybe we can take a sidestep here and discuss the actual um, preparation of the, of the product. Because this is where we have one minor disagreement uh, uh, with respect to the concentration, but it, it's really important when you dilute this, if you choose to dilute it, that you should dilute it not with distilled water or purified water, but with normal saline, because that just the normal saline is going to give you benefits. So why don't, why don't you well, just? Well, you know, it's, 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 that's a very good point. And I know growing up without really any knowledge of medicine or anything like that, uh, I always knew from my mother and my grandmother that doing a little light gargling with salt water solution was tremendous for helping resolve an early cold or cough. Uh, so it brought to mind the importance of the chloride uh, anion. I say this because also in the course of my research on the magnesium book, and this really blew me away when I first saw it, in an in vitro experiment, they showed that certain viruses were encouraged by their, in their replication by magnesium sulfate, but depressed in their replication by magnesium chloride. And I immediately said to myself, well, you know, we just never pay attention to the anion. Whenever we talk about mineral supplementation, we pretty much just focus on the cation, which is important and usually the dominant factor. But this is another reason too, why in my book, my recommendations when you take magnesium for the purpose of minimizing your chances of infection with virus is to go with the magnesium chloride. They actually have some very old literature, but in, in my opinion, being old doesn't disqualify you for anything. Uh, they showed that uh, uh, many cases, uh, in this case, I think it was about uh, 15 cases reported of acute and subacute polio being resolved simply with oral magnesium chloride solution. And a lot of the old docs back in the day in France and in Europe used magnesium chloride for a lot of different infectious conditions for dealing with wounds in the uh, soldiers that had been injured with infected limbs. So. Coming around full circle, yes, absolutely. The literature shows that water by itself does aggravate and cause, it can cause a, an irritating cough if you nebulize it by itself. So yes, it makes all the sense in the world, even though that wasn't among my initial recommendations because the hydrogen peroxide is basically in a solution of water. And when you're diluted, you're adding a little more water, but there's absolutely no reason not to make the dilution whatever you decide that dilution to be in a uh, normal saline, uh, saline solution. Okay, great. So we'll, we'll talk about the concentration disagreement in a little bit, but I think we can go back to some of the other uses that nebulized peroxide therapy has. Uh, and one of them is really intriguing. And I, I think you were the first person to identify this benefit. And that's its effect, effect on or impact on the gut microbiome. So why don't you tell us how you learned about this and, and what, what's going on here? Well, I tell you what, <laughs> a light went on in my brain. I didn't understand it, but a light went on in my brain the first time I nebulized with, uh, at this time, it was like regular old over-the-counter 3% peroxide, just experimenting around. The next morning, I had the most incredibly normal, well-formed bowel movement in my life. 
I mean, uh, I won't go into the details of what it was like before, but this was the most perfect it had ever been. And it was so perfect. I said, good grief, what is going on here? How could, and then I thought about it. I said, well, the only thing I did different was the peroxide nebulization the day before. And that got me to thinking about all disease is oxidation versus reduction. All disease is how many, how much toxins you can deliver to keep something oxidized, to keep the physiology deranged. What is the primary source of toxins in the body? For most people, it's chronic infections uh, in the form sometimes of tonsils, teeth, uh, uh, gums, etc. But I also remembered that I had for much of my life a chronic sore throat. Well, not chronic sore throat, chronic cough, okay? And when that lessened, I said, wait a second. If they have bugs in my throat, what am I doing 24-7? I'm swallowing pathogens, I'm swallowing toxins, and they're going to negatively impact the gut just like they would negatively impact anything else. And that's when I realized, or I feel pretty strongly that I realized that in many ways, what you swallow is the single most important factor in the health of your gut. Since all of this came out, I have a couple docs that I have what you say. I don't have a clinical practice, but I have an arm's length practice through many docs around the world, and they have gotten back with me. And again, I don't want anybody listening to think that this is for sure what's going to happen with them. But uh, this one doc got back, he said, boy, you know, the same thing happened to me that you described. Another doc, I said, same thing happened. And then this other doc that's in a clinical practice said, you know, I've had a couple 35-year-old ladies with chronic irritable bowel syndrome for many years now. They've done everything under the sun. They can't make it better. And they both, he got them both on hydrogen peroxide nebulization. And immediately they felt better. And within a week, they felt normal. Now, you know, there can be all sort of nuances with regard to the symptomatology. I don't want to oversimplify what's going on in the gut. I know it's a very complex thing, but bottom line is what keeps any tissue in a state, quote unquote, is disease, is increased prooxidant factors coming in. And the degree to which you can stop those prooxidant factors, one of the probably the most amazing things that came to me out of this is you know, I've never had a leaky gut in the trad traditional sense of the word, but with regard to my bowel habits changing in less than 12 hours, I said, that really tells me intuitively how readily a leaky gut can heal if you stop the 24-7 onslaught of new toxins and pathogens uh, getting dumped into the gut. And what's your speculation as to the pathway for the peroxide to get to the gut um, because if you would think maybe just swallowing it might be a more effective strategy but when you're inhaling it with the nebulized approach it's obviously going to your lungs and traveling through your bloodstream and, and hitting the gut that way systemically through through the circulation no no i don't i don't think uh, your your nebulization uh is directly putting uh, a clinically significant amount of peroxide in and around the gut its primary role is it's killing the pathogens that chronically grow there. There's, there's a concept, right. There's a concept in the book called chronic pathogen colonization, where those bugs are, because they're chronic and they're low grade, they're covered with something called biofilms that you're well familiar with. And if you don't have a specific agent to break up that biofilm, and modern medicine does not have one at all, but peroxide uniquely not completely uniquely, there are some other agents, but almost uniquely destroys the biofilm quickly and then kills the pathogens underneath. So when you reset your aerodigestive tract in your nose and throat, knock out the pathogens, well, then you're no longer swallowing those toxins and pathogens on a daily uh, basis. That's, and that's what does it. Uh, that makes a lot more sense now. Thank you. That, that is a brilliant observation. And that's the way, uh, you know, science and, and medicine specifically advances this. Astute clinicians, you know, observing something and then carefully analyzing what could be a result of their uh, observation. So, thank you for that finding and sharing it with. Well, you know, something else I said to my friends, and I also mentioned it briefly in the book that 
If it wasn't for the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic that I feel hydrogen peroxide nebulization could completely end, that would not be the main part of the book. The main part of the book would be how to reset your gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's so crucial to staying healthy. There's very few clinicians that would argue with that. So now another indication, and what you allude to in the book is the most common infectious disease in the world is gum disease, periodontitis. So why don't you expand on that observation? Well, yes. Um, when you look at the literature and look at the diseases that periodontitis has been, quote, associated with, which is just <laughs> another piece of garbage. There's so many things that they say are associated with. It's cause and effect, because there's a lot of conditions with periodontitis, like particularly in the case of asthma. Just one, one example only. When you have someone who has severe asthma and they have advanced periodontitis, you start to resolve the periodontitis, their asthma gets better. The periodontitis flares again, the asthma gets worse. I mean, I don't know how much more you need to have for a cause and effect. But the thing that's unique about periodontitis is the nature of the pathogens, often a bug called porphyrimonas, gingivalis, which is especially noxious pathogen, they're now finding this pathogen by uh, advanced PCR testing uh, to be present in many different tissues in the body and to be present in the tissues that are diseased. They've identified this bug in Alzheimer's tissue, okay, and in different neurological tissues. It's been identified in the coronary artery linings of patients that have coronary artery disease. Uh, us cardiologists say inflammation causes coronary artery disease. Well, that's true, but nobody seems to ask, well, where the heck does the inflammation come from? Do, do you just spontaneously have an attack of inflammation somewhere? No, it's when you see a certain area with bugs, their metabolism, knocks out the antioxidant levels and the vitamin C levels. The immune system comes in, as we mentioned before, to try to replace that vitamin C and antioxidant status. And the chronic immune response becomes the disease. That's all coronary artery disease is, is a chronic immune response that's never extinguished because the seeding of bugs from the mouth is never extinguished. So the periodontitis also gets throughout the body. It also directly leads to infected teeth. And this makes it more diabolical because once your advanced periodontal disease gets deep enough inside the bone that you start getting actual abscesses at the, roots, at the root tips, you have then developed the most elegant way to disseminate toxins and pathogens throughout the body that there is. It's called chewing. The moment you chew on an abscess infected tooth, you literally squeeze those pathogens and toxins into the lymphatic supply, into the venous blood supply, and they literally disseminate everywhere in the body. I, we don't have this data yet, but I firmly believe once they start looking for pathogens in different diseases, there won't be a chronic disease where you won't find the pathogens. And that's because if you have a one-time oxidative insult, some sort of toxin. It does a certain amount of oxidative damage, but there's no more new oxidative stress coming in place. Good diet and good antioxidant therapy will not only stop the damage, it will resolve it and you'll cure the condition. But we know that's not the case with nearly all chronic disease. And it's because they have a source of ongoing new oxidative stress on a daily basis in excess of the antioxidant impact you could afford that tissue. And as my beloved, to me, beloved mentor, Dr. Hal Huggins told me 25 years ago when I first started getting into all this stuff, uh, I was puzzling about this, not precisely this situation, but another one. And he looked at me a little frustrated and he said, Tom, I said, yes, sir, said, you can't dry off while you're still in the shower. I said, oh, I think I get it. And there's a lot of truth in that. We think good medicine has to evolve 
stopping what's causing it at the same time working on repairing the damage that's done. And a lot of quote unquote integrative medicine still doesn't look at the new oxidative stress coming in, although they do look at repair of the damage much more effectively than modern medicine, which doesn't recognize either of these features, either the uh, damage done or the continued promotion of new damage. Well, that story certainly resonates with me because uh, last year, right before the shutdown started, it was like the middle of March, uh, maybe the first week, first or second week, uh, I took a trip to Sanavi, which is a, a health hospital in Mexico, probably the best one in Mexico, an extensive evaluation done. And uh, especially they have a whole dental department. They're really extraordinarily good dental department. And I was uh, really surprised to find that despite having a really good lifestyle and eat a pretty good diet by most standards, I had pretty severe periodontitis. But not only that, that periodontitis had progressed, as you mentioned, to a periapical abscess that literally killed the tooth. So I had to have two teeth extracted. Uh, fortunately, what they weren't able to do it there, I had to go back to the Florida where I live and then going through the, you couldn't fly anywhere. Everything was shut down and I had to figure out how I was going to find a dentist. Bad, bad time to get sick. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I got taken care of and, and I, I was just really surprised that I had periodontitis. So that was yeah, mild to severe and it, it's all resolved now. And the, the way I did it, I think is a, a little bit better than the peroxide, but I definitely want your, your feedback on this is the, the dentist made a, a, a customized tray for me that I had and uh, they fit my lower, my lower upper jaw. And I had a, a ability to connect that to an ozone generator and then an aspirator, the same aspirator the dentist used. So I could put it in there, run the, the ozone gas on the gums and then, and then suck out the, the extra one because you don't want to breathe ozone. And it worked really well. I do it once or twice a week now for 10 minutes. Well, what I would say there, the input that I would be inclined to give you is that uh, we know by gum biopsies that periodontitis, not surprisingly, when considering what we've all discussed already today, not surprisingly, has virtually zero vitamin C in the tissues. Okay, you've absolutely completely nuked the vitamin C stores in the tissues. And this is the one main I won't call it fault or drawback, but maybe I'll call it deficiency of things like ozone and other bio-oxidative therapies is they're highly effective at killing the pathogen, but they've got nothing to do with restoring the antioxidant vitamin C status that resulted from the pathogen being present. Uh, all of these viruses we get acutely, we rapidly destroy our vitamin C stores, things like Ebola, where people die of hemorrhage. That's a really just a fulminate acute scurvy. And in fact, it's my opinion that long haul COVID is simply because of the fact that you so effectively nuked a large amount of your nutrients and vitamin C that unless you undergo an accelerated plan of restitution, not a maintenance plan, but an accelerated plan of restitution, you're never going to get back to the, the, the base one. And so same thing with periodontitis. You know, you're not a smoker. And let me tell you, uh, you talk to any dentist and they'll tell you they've never seen a smoker with normal gums. Just doesn't occur. But the point is, is what that smoke is doing is it's metabolizing the vitamin C rapidly. So I would humbly submit to you that what in whatever you do, uh, you should consider supplementing more vitamin C on a regular basis, either in the liposome form or, mm -hmm. or in intermittent oral form. That, that I mean, there's no other way to restore vitamin C balance in your body than with vitamin C. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And especially in it lines up per, uh, precisely with your earlier discussion of how the mechanism of how peroxide works, it works synergistically with the vitamin C. And you really ideally need both together to get the, the most benefit from it. Yes, sir. So. so how would you, if you're not using ozone for the periodontitis, how would you administer the hydrogen peroxide? Because I guess you could inhale it through your mouth. It has to be through your mouth because if you did through your nose, it's not going to hit the gums. Well, it's interesting. I, I have limited experience, but extremely positive experience with even advanced periodontitis and what I'm gonna tell you about. 
and that is uh, water irrigation, water pick. You, you get a, actually the warmer, the better. Best not to use cold water. And usually you can use piping hot water because by the time it gets to the machine, it's just down to a pleasant warmth. Use that. And actually, based on what we've talked about, I didn't think about this until right now, but you could probably make it a uh, nice warm saline solution rather mm -hmm. than just uh, just water. And then um, it's never been a question of measurement, just like a couple tablespoons of uh, 3% hydrogen peroxide uh, inside the tank that has about a cup or two of water. And this is, if you will, the magic. I, when those, those pathogens get knocked out quick, and I have seen... Um, when you have advanced periodontitis, you no longer have the little mountains of gum tissue between the teeth. You have little little flat line. They've just resorbed completely. Even in that type of gum, I've seen new gum grow in quite nicely in a couple of weeks. So basically, when you take the ongoing infective, um, ongoing infective presence out of there, they will regenerate rapidly, especially in your case, if you're not smoking, you know, you're not doing some ongoing silly thing that's just, uh, in my opinion, almost suicidal. Also, I might add, we talk about smoking and, and, and uh, heart disease. I'm gonna tell you, and this is my opinion, I wrote a book about it. The primary reason smokers have such a high incidence of heart disease is because all of them have induced periodontitis mm. that has the type of pathogen that metastasizes to the coronary artery lining. That's a profound insight. And let me tell you, uh, uh, there's, there's some research that's overwhelming in, in one particular study. This, uh, they do something called, um, so in the term simply, it's like a rotor atherectomy, atherectomy. So they had patients with known coronary artery disease undergo atherectomies, which is like a rotor rooter to pull out, carve out obstructive plaque, and then analyze the plaque. Well, in 36 out of 36 patients, which I think is pretty close to 100%, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't uh, get much closer than that. 36 out of 36 had the hugest wide array of periodontal pathogens imaginable inside, some up to 50 different species. And mind you, they also took specimens from normal coronary arteries. So this was, wasn't some sort of contamination. Uh, in the book, Hidden Epidemic, that talks about what you ended up having, which was the asymptomatic abscesses of a couple teeth, that I would submit to you is the primary reason for all heart disease and the vast majority of breast cancer, because those wow. same, same teeth lymphatically drain into the breast. It's, mm -hmm. it's all toxins and it's all, and, and when you consider toxins, it's all toxins and the pathogens provide the most toxins. That's really insightful and true that information can help a lot of people out there to, to understand this. It's because, well, I tell you what, anybody who, who writes in, uh, uh, well, you can leave, you can give my email address. I don't care. That's fine. And anybody after getting the other book we're talking about, I'm more than happy to send them a free ebook on hidden epidemic because uh, it's, it should have been called as it turns out hidden pandemic, but yeah, I, I wrote, it, be wrote it before that, <laughs> wrote it before that term became popular. Like the fake one. Well, it's the bastardized definition of it. The world health organization changed, changed the definition not too long ago. So in your course referring to periodontitis is something that very few clinicians have a deep appreciation of, and certainly to the extent that you just described. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know many docs, internal medicine doctors. I mean, what they, they go through this quick routine of physical examination and maybe, maybe not, they ask you to open your mouth, what, look at the back of your throat, stick your yeah. tongue. I don't, Practically none of them, I can comfortably say, uh, pull your lip up and take a look at the health of your gums. Yet that's probably the most important part of that oral examination. Yeah, it is. And I can remember very clearly from my medical school training, the, I think it was Bates, was the book, it was a big red book, like eight and a half by 11 pages. And I don't remember any description of doing an oral cavity examination. 
in that book. <laughs> you know what, though? Here's a very interesting little factoid. In terms of history, I think you remember the movie Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston. That was a while ago. We're dating ourselves. We're dating ourselves. Well, I just I just looked up the old movies. Ha ha. Well, Charlton Heston was slogging in the uh, in in the mud pit to make new bricks. That was the the duty of the uh, slaves, and they were looking for a gladiator. Well, they want a gladiator to be healthy, right? Well, what did they do to Charlton Heston when they walked up to him? They took him and they pulled his lip up to look at his gums. Yeah. Same thing they do to horses. Yeah. But the whole point is, is this is not new information. It's newly appreciated, but it's not new. Yeah. It's so simple to do. You just, it's astounding that it's not integrated consistently and regularly and taught to medical students to, uh, to appreciate the value of this observation. Well, the other thing too, slightly switching gears is what we've already talked about the peroxide nebulization. Uh, for many people who, um, I don't know, are, are interested in trying to try something new, I think, and it remains to be determined what the optimal maintenance regimen would be. Yes. But I think that the peroxide nebulization should be a routine part of any treatment protocol for any medical condition because of the positive impact it has on the microbiome and the leaky gut, all of which make any chronic disease you have worse. Yeah, so let's extend that recommendation to the, those the few of us, like me, who really don't have any chronic medical condition and are virtually free from chronic disease. So in that case, you think it is wise to do a few times a week or what, what's, your, what's your current belief on this? I think, I think that's exactly right. Two or three times a week. Although I will say this, only using obviously myself as my guide. So I'm not gonna say the whole world is like me. Don't anybody think that I'm trying to generalize my personal experience of the whole world. But I also find that um, if I skip it for two to three days, guess what happens? The bowel movement is less perfect. So in me, in me, that's a feedback. Yes. Okay. And it also indicates to me how quickly in this current environment, of pathogens everywhere, you can go from a normal nasooropharynx to a newly colonized oropharynx. That's that's another. It's, it's disturbing, but it's good when you know that you have something that could deal with it. Yeah, really brilliant observation. So thank you for making that, and it actually inspires me to do this more regularly. I, uh, since reading your book, I've I've increased the frequency I did it from like virtually never <laughs> to. Uh, you know, the moment of a sniffle or, you know, a sneeze or something, I'm going to get it out. But that's only still a few times a month. But I think I may have to up it to a few times a week now. And the thing is, too, is is I, I talk about, oh, if you have something, well, do it for 10 or 15 minutes. No, for, for this maintenance we're talking about, just one, two, three minutes. It's, uh, you yeah. know, that, that's all you need for the maintenance. Because right. if there is something going on, it's a very low titer, very early, and you knock it out quickly. Also, I would submit to you, uh, this is a good way to, um, if you're unfortunate enough to have a positive COVID test, doing this nebulization and then rinsing your nares, your nose with saline solution so that you blow your nose after you're through is a good way to very rapidly turn that, uh, that test to, to normal, especially if you're not dealing with any significant infection, because as soon as you eliminate the virus presence where they're sampling in the nose, it's not possible to any longer have a positive test. Well, this for clarification, there's two types of tests. And the one you're referring to is the PCR antigen test. Uh, and that still can be bastardized. Well, yeah, that would go at incredibly cycle threshold factor. But they, before when they were going 45, almost 100% of them were positive. Now they get back down to 25, 30 range, then it's more accurate. But I want, I want to dive now into the details of how we implement this, because there, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier, there is some disagreement between yourself and me and some of the others. Uh, just to give you a chronology, I'm late to the party. Uh, the, probably the first one clinician that we know was either, either David Bronstein or Frank Schallenberger. They, they were doing this in the 90s, in the 90s. 
And then R Rob Rowan picked it up. And then you picked it up. And then I fo followed your lead after talking to Rowan prior to you and started recommending. And it, it, it is, the, I've recommended at least a few dozen times now. And, it, and I don't think I've yet to see it fail once. I mean, and like you mentioned earlier, it works like instantly, usually in the first, second or third treatment, they are better, they stop coughing, their, their whole life is changing. So anyway, I wanna get back to the details. So I, I, I mentioned the chronology of the implementation of this. So Schallenberger and Brownstein have come to a different conclusion than your, your, your recommendation, which is using the straight 3%. Uh, and they're using much lower concentrations. Brownstein is about 0.04%. I and Rowan is about maybe a little higher 0.1%, but 0.1%. So literally, literally about 30 times lower than your recommendation. And we actually had an email correspondence between all four of us. And they, right. they seem to be a consistent response that, that no, none of the others were supporting your high dose. So not that it's necessarily dangerous, but it's like anything in life. It's a Goldilocks dose. There's a sweet spot. There's this therapeutic window where, you know, it's going to be above the MED, the minimum effective dose. But you don't want to have any side effects or, you know, unnecessary side effects. So I'll let you take it from here. But, you know, it, in, in my belief, I think 0.1% is a sweet spot. And, that, and all the obs incredible observations of people improving dramatically were with 0.1%. Okay. First of all, with regard to uh, David Brownstein, who I want to say I have tremendous respect for, and he's done some great deal. He's cured a lot of people. If you look at his at his uh, article, his uh, he talks about his 0.04 percent, okay, and and say when when it doesn't work well, then we'll follow with a little IV, or maybe this time we'll add a little iodine. I don't think there's any evidence really that 0.04 percent nebulization as a monotherapy is going to get the job done. And that's the overwhelming message from this book is I want something that anybody on the planet can resolve without having to add vitamin C, without having to add iodine, without having availability of ozone. Uh, and when you start taking the concentration down, you're going to get less antipathogenic impact by, 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 uh, by definition. That combined with the fact that, gosh, for a year now, I've been getting incredible amount of feedback. I've had no negative feedback. Most people use 3%. Some get too much tingling in the nose and they'll go down to 1.5% or even 1%. So the point is, is along with the, what we see in the book with the, what, what's worked out in the physiology, uh, and also we're talking about self-limited, okay? If, if we're, I think it's a whole different thing as to what concentration you might wanna use for the maintenance therapy that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I, have, I think there's no good reason at all not to take your first shot at 3% when you're already having symptoms or if you have a COVID positive test. I see no reason to dance lightly, especially in the fact that we, we have no negative feedback yet. Also, a recent article came out and showed that people who, uh, routinely gargle with 3% peroxide over many month period. Now, of course, when you're gargling with it, you're getting a much more concentrated contact with the peroxide than you are with that tissue than you are in, in nebulization. And they show zero microscopic abnormalities in the tissue after a six month period. Now, the other points I would make is the other thing is these, well, the overwhelming point is I don't think the concentration low does it by itself. And that's the most important point. If, if you're in a hospital, and a good hospital, <laughs> not, not one of the typical ones, that will give you a bunch of modalities, then, then sure, use the different concentration of peroxide. But I have yet to see other than a extremely self-limited uh, mucosal irritation of the nose and throat uh, any long-term and especially when you're talking about, hey, we're just going to hit this hard for a couple of days. Now, long-term maintenance therapy, yeah, experiment with something that causes zero irritation at all. But if you think or you feel that there's an active infection trying to gain a foothold, I see no reason not to hammer it with 3%. Yeah, my only caution on that, 
and, and I have no problems with someone who wants to implement that strategy, but I, I think you might be blinded to the amount of feedback uh, from your population that you're making this recommendation to. Because I know well, that I Well, was, I will say I, this, Joe, I, I never I'm, failed. I'm sorry, go ahead. Let me just finish. Because I was one of those people, and I and I did and I did after our our interview last year, I decided to use the three percent concentration. I noticed profound irritation in my upper airways, and it just didn't feel right. So, I, if anyone uses, I would caution to just to be sensitive to that because at the lower concentration, you don't feel anything. There is nothing. There is no. Uh, unnatural feeling at all. So it's just, I think it's just straightforward. So well, I'm just be sent to that because normally if, if your body's giving you feedback, there's an irritation, probably it's a signal that it's, it's too much. Well, the only thing I would add to that is when you start feeling a substantial amount of irritation, it's because you've killed the pathogens. The pathogens basically uh, take up or deal with the peroxide that you're dealing with in, in the book and in my articles and in my interviews. I never advise somebody to tolerate symptoms that they find uncomfortable. I always say, find a concentration of whatever you're nebulizing that's comfortable. But that said, I still think when you clearly have an infection, hit it hard the first few times. I don't think you're going to do any damage. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention about feedback is, <laughs> I, th I think you appreciate this, Joe, is that when you feel better, you generally don't tell anybody. Right. When you feel worse, you tell everybody. I mean, so when if there's negative impact, I'm going to hear about it. Okay, fair enough. So uh, the last two points I want to discuss, and the really, really important ones, is the nebulizer itself. Uh, now, Brownson and I uh, are pretty rigid about recommending to getting a plug-in nebulizer that you want to plug in the wall, and that's the one that's typically powered by batteries, although some of the plugins do have that capacity. And usually it's a very expensive battery, like a $60, $70 battery. So uh, it's just a more powerful way to do it. And it just seems to be the, the way to go. So I would recommend not using the handheld battery powered ones that you can get for $25 on Amazon. I've just, I've tried like a half a dozen and they've all been miserable failures. So I don't I recommend that well, at all. So you have to do your homework. Uh, there's a big challenge in many of these companies, Amazon being one of them, or some of these other ones that require a prescription from a doctor. But I've had a lot of people say, when they ask for the prescription, say, Dr. Mercola recommended it. And they give it. <laughs> so, well, let, let me say this, Joe. I, I think, um, and I've actually got a fair amount of experience with this now, and, and I 100% agree. Make your investment in the tabletop model because, A, it's more durable. Mm -hmm. B, you can use a wide variety of solutions because the little container can be easily cleaned and boiled and, and you can mix some vinegar in there and you clean it out easy uh, and very, very good price. Yeah, under $100. Yeah, the only reason I see for having the handheld is you do a lot of traveling, okay? And you want to just have something in that you can take easily during your travels. But again, the point is, and I've already noted this, is that like any pro-oxidative agent, uh, if you don't promptly clean a handheld mesh nebulizer, and I would be lazy, I would use it, and I'd let the solution sit in there for a couple of days before coming back to it. Well, guess what? Surprise, surprise, the mesh started rusting. Okay, so they're, they're very delicate machines, but they still are kind of pricey. So make the handheld nebulizer your luxury only nebulize the peroxide, the dilution peroxide that you want, clean it quickly with water when you're finished, and the rest of the time, use your, use your tabletop nebulizer. Absolutely, I agree 100%. Well, good. So the, and the tabletop nebulizer, for those who haven't seen or used it, is not, that's a bad term for it, I would think, because it applies it's, it's really hard. air so, compressor. It's an air compressor. Yeah, but I mean, it literally is not much bigger than the handheld. And oh, well, would, they have different sizes, but you're right. They do have a small one too. Yeah. So I would, I like the Paratech one and it, it, it really, exactly. I travel with it. So it's easy to travel with. And I will, in fact, I, it is part of my checklist now for traveling. I refuse to travel without it and peroxide because I just, I have no idea what I'm going to encounter with someone I know or love and where I'm traveling to is going to happen. And I'll be using that for them. And you're right because the, 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 the peroxide, the oxidative solution that you're using is in a separate container. It's not in, it's, it's not in the actual compressor. So exactly. you could even leave it in there indefinitely. It's not going to do anything because it's not. And then you can clean it. No problem. Exactly. Yeah, you do. 
Can't so, do that with the handhelds. And the point that has to be incredibly emphasized, and I don't, I don't care if you hear me say it a dozen times, because it's that one person who hits it finally, that you have to do this before you need it. You want to do this now. It is not something you go and scamper for the moment you feel, feel sick. It's going to take too long to get. So you've got to do it now, get all set up, run through your dilutions, get everything going, and then and then you know be, be prepared and locked and loaded. And there's still benefit to do it, as you've heard. It's probably not a bad idea to do several times a week anyway. And, we, and neither of us are selling anything. This exactly. is water and peroxide and a, and a nebulizer, which we have no conflict of interest. We don't we have any relationship with these companies. So just do it and benefit yourself and your family. Also, a small point, every now and then, I don't know why Amazon might say, uh, this item requires a prescription or a distributor or this out of the other. Other times not. You can also get them in a, uh, I think, justnebulizers.com and you can get them on eBay. So do any sort of reasonable search on the, on the, on the web. You'll be able to get one easily. And as you said, for good grief, don't wait until you're sick. I mean, we're talking about a, uh, for the cheap models of $30 or more expensive models, $60 or $70, get it. In habit, I mean, just like you would have anything in your medicine cabinet, have it there for when you need it. And let me give you an idea. Uh, a birthday's coming up, a holiday. Uh, these are the best Christmas gifts you can, or, or gifts you can get, generalized that you can get. You know, Tim Ferriss has this common question he asks many of his guests that he interviews. What's the best advice you ever got for under $100? Well, I guarantee you, this is it for me. I mean, I don't know of any device for hundred dollars that, that beats this dollar for dollar as an, as a great investment. So get some for the people that you love, not only for yourself, but spread the wealth and the knowledge and, and, and uh, are, give them the tools they need to defeat these, these same viral illnesses. Yeah. I, I could, I couldn't agree more, Joe. I think this is uh, obviously extremely important information yeah, just do a little bit of planning ahead. Not a whole lot, just a little bit of planning so, ahead. Along those lines, uh, deep gratitude uh, for taking the time, effort, and energy because I know what it takes to write a book. I, you know, we've written, we've both written quite a few, and it's not an easy venture. So, and just to give it away for free is a uh, very gracious of you. So, if, thank if you. anybody wants to know what their price is for downloading the book, the price is forward the link to as many people as possible. That's the whole reason for this book. And that'll be more than enough payment to me is if you do your small part to get that link out to your circle, your, your working people, your family, your friends, your groups, your email lists, I can't imagine anybody being offended by the offer of a free book. Well, I would have to revise that. Oh, okay. The revision is that if you don't already have a nebulizer, you have to agree to commit to purchase one. That's good. I couldn't disagree with that, sir. Otherwise, the, the book is worthless. <laughs> yeah. You can't do anything with it. So it's, it's you know, you've got to have the tool. And the tool is so it's the it's the best investment under hundred dollars you're gonna make. You know, so and and it, it these they last for a long time. The handheld ones might last a few times, but the 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 more expensive, better better one is going to last you for years, if not longer. They've done longer, yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. Appreciate everything. We'll obviously have links to your book and your site and your background, and uh, get everyone the information they need to avail themselves of this resource. My my pleasure, Joe. And, and man, all I can say is you keep up your great work. We we don't have enough brave principal persons like yourself out there. So, so keep up the good fight on, on all those fronts. Well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.